All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and our special guest is Michael or Mike Robinson. Mike Robinson. He's a multiple cancer survivor who has used CB, excuse me, cannabis oils and CBD extensively as well for severe epilepsy, chronic Lyme disease, PTSD, and pain, pain management. He is also the Global Cannabinoid Research Center CEO and founder out of Santa Barbara, California. Over the last decade, Mike has shared the, his journey and analytics on cannabinoid medicine research globally while assisting patients and helping to teach clinicians around the world. Mike is the former director of consumer affairs and communications at the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine. However, his postgrad education is not in cannabis or cannabinoid medicine. It is in international relations and diplomacy. Mike has an extensive history of leading a large compassion program that provided countless disadvantaged cannabis patients with various alternative protocol treatments. He's also a published journalist and an international cannabinoid research specialist, as well as a former registered civil rights lobbyist and non-attorney that represented countless children, disabled children, pro bono nationwide for over two decades. He's a past board member of Big Brothers and Big Sisters, the founder of multiple nonprofits, excuse me, for disabled children, and is well known for adopting a severely disabled child, Genevieve, from the compassion program he once ran. So from Santa Barbara, California, Mike Robinson, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Miguel. I'm honored to be here. Hey, man, I'm glad we were able to do this because I... You know, I know you're a busy guy. We were talking about this a little bit before. You do a lot of research, a lot of hours, and I'm thankful for your time, man. So we were talking, we were talking about uh, a little bit before we hit the record button, and I was trying to get an idea of how many times you actually survived cancer, and we started going into it. And uh, that, I understand why you use the word multiple, because it's very complex and things happened simultaneously. So what, how do you want, where do you want to start with this, Mike? You want to start in the first try or what do you, what do you think, man? I'll tell you, when it comes to, to cancer and the cancer battle, you know, it, it goes back so far. Um, the first round with it was, was in 2003, you know, but that was after I'd already had a serious injury in my life in 1995. I'm a former pro race car driver. In 1995, I got in a wreck that caused right side paralysis, put me in the hospital for quite some time. And that actually started my journey as a civil rights lobbyist. When I came out of the hospital after a long period of time with my right side you know, paralyzed in a wheelchair, I found my son deep in the world of autism. And, you know, that's my biological son that's nearly 30 years old now, and his name is also Michael. And, you know, at that point, he was only a couple years old, and, 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 and that really started the whole role as far as representing kids and representing people and helping people through their, through their problems in life, but starting with, you know, the civil rights work. Um, you know, but what happened was, was as I got better from that racing wreck and as my life changed to realize, hey, there's more to life than money and going fast in circles, um, you know, I ended up getting cancer in 2003 for the first time. And, you know, I, took, I did the traditional treatment. I didn't even get staged. They cut it out of my neck, cut it out of my armpit, 
six weeks into the treatment, I had to be hospitalized. I have epilepsy from that racing wreck and I started seizing a lot. And, and then inside the hospital, after a treatment, my right side went numb again. Mm-hmm. And I spent three years in a wheelchair uh, because of the cancer treatment. I really felt sorry for that oncologist when he had to come in and tell me that, you know, I signed a form releasing him of liability and that, and that these kind of treatments can cause a, a chemo-induced hypermalasia or a type of paralysis to the onset, even in patients that have not had head injuries, but ones that have had head injuries, it can be up to 20 to 25% of patients can have some type of numbness occur. That's a high number. That's a high percentage. That's that, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, when, when, when you're looking at something that is used so broadly to treat such a deadly disease, it's a high percentage. I think, I don't know. I, when I hear that, Mike, I'm like, ah, God. and this, is, this was in 2005 when you heard at this 2003. time. And, 2003. you know, biological uh, grandfather and, and, and mother both perished to the same cancer. And when they ask you and they tell you you have cancer, ask you if you have family members that have cancer or died from cancer, I think there's a fear factor that hits us pretty hard. And most of us know that, hey, people do live from chemo and radiation. So I don't, certainly don't want to take those treatments and just completely throw them in the garbage yeah. because people lived from this, you know, and- they're, they're around now to be around their kids and grandkids and everything else because they have these Western medicine treatments. So we can't completely just abandon them and say they're total garbage. But what happened to me was pretty horrible. Somebody who spent 18 months in a wheelchair after a racket, nearly 200 miles an hour head on into concrete, um, spent three years in a wheelchair after head on going into cancer treatment. So which is more dangerous, NASCAR driving or cancer treatment? By far, it's cancer treatment. That's an interesting perspective right there, man. 200 miles an hour and... Yeah, clocked at 181.2 miles an hour, head on into the wall. So so we're talking about major injuries, uh, internal, external, number of fractures, over two dozen. Um, You look for having gone through what you've gone through, Mike. For people that knew who Evil Knievel was back in the 70s, yeah, jumps across the River Canyon or try, it was sort of like one of his wrecks, just completely discombobulating the person and then back together again, you know. And so, so I'll tell you, you know, that's sort of like my former life. That's how I look at it, you know, because it's sort of like being born again, you know. Since this is cannabis and Christianity, I'll definitely use those words, born again, because that. After that racing wreck, I definitely was born again in, in the Christianity. Uh, and terminology. how did that, so when you say born again in the Christianity, were you a Christian before that? And, and I was a quasi Christian before that, you know, meaning that I believed my whole life. You know, my name is Michael. I was born on 3366, March 3rd, 1966. And because of this, there was a lot of, you know, a very different culture that I was born into. And the people around me in that culture continually told me my work was in Daniel. And as a kid, and you're talking was, about the book of Daniel from the Old Testament, right? I didn't know that's what it was. But okay. I was just gotcha. told that over and over. 
your job is in Daniel. And I was like, I don't know, Daniel. You know, so I grew up and, and in my 20s, I was a race car driver. I was also a mortgage banker, you know, in the off season, I, I owned mortgage companies. So I did two pretty evil things. One was, you know, uh, attempt to kill myself on a racetrack driving a billboard in circles and, and getting paid for billboard driving. And the other one was making loans to people who I know could not pay back. You know, <laughs> and we had to foreclose on their houses quite often. Uh, so those are sort of horrible things. So I'll tell you, uh, some people I know sort of, you know, trip out a little bit on me because I tell them, you know, the guy that used to race cars is dead. He died in that wreck. And Michael came back out. Okay, because whoever was racing wasn't Michael, it was something else, you know, and, and, you know, after I had that wreck, just to share with you, I know we're jumping around. No, it's good. But I came out of the hospital and, and on my bed, um, my Sicilian grandmother, you know, Nona had left a Bible laying upside down open to Daniel 12, 1. And that was the first time at age 29, severely thrashed on. After seeing my son not speaking anymore, getting into my bedroom, opening that Bible up was the first time I ever read Daniel 12, 1. You were 39. The chills just engulfed my body. It was like, I'm supposed to stand? I could stand. I was a board member for Big Brothers and Big Sisters National. I used to run our own counties, Big Brothers and Big Sisters. I ran our summer camp. I funded it. I thought that was being a great guy, funding it. Money is not being a great guy. It's just money. So, so, so here I was, Michael, reading the scripture saying, on, in a time of great trouble, Michael shall stand. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I am in a time of great trouble. My son can't speak out there. I know that's autism. I'm paralyzed now from racing. Everything's gone. I mean, I came home to find cars gone, repossessed, house in foreclosure, rental properties in foreclosure. All the material things are gone. Leaving, leaving, leaving. But yet, what did I have in my hands? I had to this day what I considered the best gold you can get. And I don't care who wants to judge me for it. What is that? I don't care who listens to this. Mike Robinson, some uh, hippie Jesus freak. I don't care. Because the bottom line is what I had in my hand was worth way more than the $12.8 million bankruptcy that was filed. It was God's word. It was telling me what I was supposed to do with my life. I was only 29 years old. I'm 55 today. I should have died in that wreck. There was no way. When you looked at the video, I'll tell you, people that saw Dale Earnhardt's wreck, it, it was like a minor bump in the wall compared to this. This was like a massive cut the top off the car to get the driver out wreck. Metaflight, just, just an incredibly horrible thing. And even the surgeon that operated on me, I asked him, how many people have you operated on like this? And he told me, you know, Mr. Robinson, 22 hours into surgery, we're in cadaver mode. Like, what, what does that mean? Because we're practicing. We, we're, we're at university. We have teams of surgeons that come in with, and I'm like in shock. So you're working on me like I'm already dead? Yes. You had coded seven times. Okay, so listen to that. Seven times. You're, you, you, you officially died seven times. 
So that didn't mean much to me. At that at time? That moment. Okay, okay, but gotcha. It did. Wait, hey, hold on, hey, hey Mike. Later. I, got, I got Daniel 12.1 right here. Do you okay. want me to read it? Please do. All right, here we go. You let me know if there's this point where you want me to stop, all right? And I'll, 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 think, I'll find one too, but if there's a point where you're like, hey, that's good, because that's where, that's where your story's at, then you just let me know. Now, at the time, Michael... And we're talking, Daniel's talking about the Archangel Michael, and your name is Michael, and that's the connection, the association. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress, distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine like the glow of the expanse of heaven. And those who, have, those who lead the many to, to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. So let me do verse four. It's short. All right, let's do it. But as for you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Thank so you. that's, you're growing up in this uh, environment. You called it a, uh, I'm, I'm, these are your words, because I get it. And some people may call me that too. Uh, uh, a Jesus loving, a Jesus loving hippie freak. Hippie, yeah. What was it? Some, did I get it wrong? Like, well, Jesus freak. <laughs> Same thing. And, and you have these people somewhat prophesying over you saying this is part of your mission in life and then you have that car accident now come now that's not even an accident that's a catastrophe that's huge 181 miles an hour into a wall and you died seven times while they're trying to fix you up and even then at that time it still didn't mean much to you right no it didn't i'll tell you and nothing meant much to me other than the fact I couldn't do what I wanted to do until I picked that book up and read that. And I'll tell you, even on the first reading, I was like, okay, this book was left here. And what meant more than anything else was that my Nona from the old country came to leave it there, you know. And But she was Roman Catholic, I mean wake up to mass every morning you know the styles are different they, they, they have they have a different different approach to worship i get what you're saying and so i had to lay in that bed for quite some time you gotta figure i'm paralyzed on one side i'm going through some trials and tribulations you know i'm somebody that goes fast that runs the show the ceo of a finance company and mortgage companies I am a pro race car driver. Get out of my way. I will run you over is my attitude. And I'm in a wheelchair. I can't even get to the bathroom. I can't even get on to the bathroom on my own without help. I'm worthless in my mind, completely worthless. And, you know, I didn't sit and read the Bible and be saved and, do all kinds of things like I've heard from pulpits and stuff like that. That's not how things worked at all. 
Instead, what happened was I went through that trial. Things happened where, you know, the the family fell apart. The, the marriage fell apart immediately. Um, you know, I ended up in order to to be as close to my son as possible, you know, after a period of time um, of having him, you know, I had to give him to, back to his mom along with his two sisters. So, you know, I have three biological kids that are in their late 20s. And, and you know, it was a very difficult time. And the only thing I could do to be super, super close to him was to represent other kids like him. And I, I'd gone out and got him the best education he could get. He was severely autistic. He went completely nonverbal. It mm -hmm. was after vaccinations. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not an anti-vax person all over, but believe me, I do know the people in those movements and I don't disagree with them. I disagree with some approaches. Okay. I'm a person that believes that nature is here to heal us. Okay. Yeah. I was taught as a kid. And when I look at everything and the journey that went on over a decade and a half after that wreck, I traveled this nation working pro bono, representing kids all over um, in special ed disputes. I worked on the ugliest of ugly restraint, seclusion and abuse cases. Mm. I worked on what the local advocates wouldn't work on because it was just that ugly. I don't have one. I have a total of three different tattoos on my body. One says restraint in barbed wire. One says seclusion in barbed wire. And one says autism freedom. All three of them I had placed on my body after being a pallbearer in funerals to young children who were restrained in school and died. So what I did was necessary. It did not make me popular. I had to sue school districts. I had to take on departments of education. I had parents definitely not like what I was doing. Just as many that said bravo said, boo, get out. Yeah. You're a lot of money and legal fees and everything else that could go to our kids' education. But I was compelled to do that. And I feel like there was definitely a divine source, whether, I don't care what anybody wants to call it. I'm somebody that doesn't believe that you have to believe like I do or believe like somebody else does just believe in something, you know, and, and there was something driving me the whole way through. And it's no coincidence that in 2013, jump that far ahead, 18 years after this wreck, I'm on my own, still alive, seizing all over the, the nation. You know, as I work on, I, I'm talking planes, trains, automobiles. So while you're doing, while you're doing this, while you're doing this work for kids, work. you're still suffering from epilepsy. Severe epilepsy, severe refractory epilepsy. It's a very deadly diagnosis. It does kill people. And it causes back-to-back -back refractory seizures that, that will require hospitalization, not once, twice, or three times, but 39, 39 times taken in by ambulance to ICU, not just by ambulance, by ambulance over 200 times in less than two decades, 39 of those times ended up intubated in ICU with what's called status epilepticus, back-to-back -back convulsive seizures that will not stop without medical attention, 
I'll tell you, I don't know very many people that have been done that three or four times. It can, you could die the first time. Yeah. So, so this is like, okay, again, there's some intervention going on here. If you believe, I own a crystal shop, right? So a lot of people love crystals and believe in all kinds of things. You want to go rub a crystal ball and say, universe save me. Say that because of my belief, God made the universe. So the universe can save me. So you want to say Mother Earth saved me? Fine. God made Mother Earth. Mother Earth saved me. Nature. So, so all these different beliefs go on. But when I look at this whole thing, what happened was just incredible. In, in, in October of 2012, the year before I started ingesting cannabis oil, I was crossing the street to go into a hearing to represent two autistic kids that were in a bad place. They were in peril. And I was going in as their civil rights lobbyist and I was getting ready to file a pleading, a lawsuit against the school district. Crossing the street, I didn't make it all the way. Um, I fell and seized oh. and knocked out 18 teeth at one time. Oh my gosh. So talk about trials. I spent the next year um, being called every last name you could think of. I used to smoke cigarettes. I'd go in line to, to buy cigarettes and people would cut in front of me and say crackhead and stuff like that to me because my teeth were all broken up. And I'm not a little guy. Somebody saying that to me could be dangerous. <laughs> so, but, but, but I'm just saying, you know, I mean, it, it was a pretty brutal thing to go to, but jump ahead to the next September of 2013, you know, I woke up on this morning of September 8, 2013 with EMTs over the top of me. Uh, I was outside in my backyard. I had a rental property I had. Um, I didn't own it. I was just running a property with four bedrooms and, and I was running out three of the bedrooms to pay the rent, right? So a roommate had called 911 because apparently I got up and wandered outside after a seizure in the morning on that day. And they tried to take me to the hospital. I wouldn't go. Um, very hard to get me to go to a hospital unless I'm unconscious. So, so I ended up going that day because I had torn abdominal muscles and there was bulges oh. in my abdomen and it was painful. I could move. And they, of course, they confirmed this. And, and referred me to surgery. They tried to admit me. I wouldn't go into the hospital. I went back home and sat down and, and I smoked cannabis back then. I thought that would help my epilepsy. You know, cancer hadn't came back yet. This is 2013, right? Okay. So, so I just have severe epilepsy trying to live through life, you know, and, and, and I go out and I get my smoking apparatus and, and, and a roommate comes out and he's from Korea, and he's like, Michelson, you know, can't eat it all. And I'm like, I know I can't eat it all. I can't eat food. It can get trapped in there. But I'm going to go in. And he's like, no, 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 can't eat it all. And I'm like, okay, whatever, Henry. His name was Fu Wong Chung, but we called him Henry. Because everybody messed his name up. So I was he like, was now from was South Korea, you said? He was like born and raised yeah. in South Korea, came to the United yeah. States? He was on visa. Okay. He made ancient Chinese medicine, herbal no balls, right? These little balls of herbal resins rolled up. So, so I'm like, can we just go make some medicine? And I go back trying to hit the bong, you know, my smoking ever. And I can't, 
take a hit of cannabis because it's hurting too bad. I can't do anything really, you know, because of these torn ab muscles that need surgical repair. And, and um, Henry comes back in and brings me a big ball of Chinese herbs. I can't even eat anything. And I weigh like 300 pounds back then, you know, so I got a huge appetite and I take a handful of these herbal remedies and drink water. It sort of bloats up my stomach. I'm like, okay, I'll use this candy and all. A week goes by. A week. With a week. Okay. A week of, and, and I'm not able to eat, you know, so I'm go, I'm in a horrible mood because of that. But I go back and forth out of this horrible mood into really productive, good moods. I have not been in, literally, I can't remember being in moods like this, except for maybe that former race car driver guy was like that when he was doing his mortgage banking, possibly. You know, I couldn't really remember. And so during that week, you were experiencing that. Yeah, it was really odd. And, you know, and but at, at the end of this week, I got so sick and tired of eating all these Chinese herbal medicines that Henry made for me that I just threw the whole thing in the garbage. I was like, you know what? This has got to be a food allergy because at the end of the week, I was thinking something's going on. I'm not seizing. It's been a week. I don't even have a little pad I'd put down underneath my bed so I could seize out of bed onto another little mini mattress. Yeah. I wasn't even putting there anymore. And I discovered you're not even putting this thing down anymore. It's like a nightly ritual to put this down. So when you seize at night, you fall on that, not the ground. And so my little seizing pad is gone. And I'm sitting there going, okay, what's what's up? It's got to be the creamer I was using for my coffee. It's got to be the food. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You start, you start seeking out the problem. Like it's a one, like it's that that single point of failure. That's going to fix all your health. And it's yeah. really like that. And, and, and then, you know, and this is where people are going to really trip out because it's because I got up every morning and I started praying to God and saying, please stop these seizures. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I was like, but, if they trip out about that, it's kind of like, well, somebody comes up and says some of the same thing to the universe. Somebody well, can trip out about that as well. That's not what happened, though. I, I, yeah. <laughs> what happened was I got really moody thinking, hey, I'm having a food allergy and I, I discovered whatever it is, I can't eat it anymore. So these seizures are getting better. One thing for sure, I'm sick of these Chinese herbs and I threw them across the room, you know, poo, score, landed in the garbage can. Right as they dropped in the garbage can, in comes Henry through the front door. You know, he's got his acupuncture table. Muckle son, you can't eat it all. On and on and on. Oh, man, I threw away his Chinese herbs. So you're wondering why I'm going on and on about this. Well, he goes and pulls him out of the garbage. And I'm talking to another roommate. And I'm like, look, Henry. And I give him a pen and paper. And I'm like, just write it down. I'm trying to trying to understand what you're saying. And there's another roommate with Henry. And I'm talking to, to a different roommate. And the one that's with him is like, Mike, you need to come to this table now. And I come over to the table and Henry's got C-A-N-N-A-B-I. And I'm like, S, S, cannabis. Why are you writing cannabis down on the table, Henry? I'm trying to figure out what can, can eat it all means. Uh, can eat it all. Can, can, can. So I took the paper from him. Oh, so he was trying to tell. Okay. 
So he was trying to tell you the, at the beginning of that, he's saying he was trying to say cannabis, but he it was you were understanding well, can't was, eat at all. And you're I like, I'm already, not trying to eat. <laughs> I was already smoking cannabis, so it didn't make sense just to be okay, writing gotcha. cannabis. So I took the cannabis, the cannabis he had on the paper, got behind a computer, and I wrote cannabis can't eat at all. And up pops, rest in peace now, Charlotte Figi. Young Charlotte Figi, who has passed from seizures. Um, but she was on CNN. She was the star of the CBD show. Yeah. Um, Charlotte's Web, you know, the, the, the young girl Charlotte up pops her mom in an interview and immediately it popped up to cannabidiol. You know, cannabidiol. Yeah. CBD. Yeah. So not saying can't eat it all. He's trying to say cannabidiol or can't eat it all. Cannabidiol. So that's what he was saying to me for a week was Michael son CBD. He's trying to tell me this is what you need. And I'm like, I didn't know. I thought you said can't eat it all. So once I realized that's what it was, I go nuts. I go online. I go on my Facebook. That's like a lobbyist's Facebook. And I'm like, you know, typing away. I need some of this weed this girl has in Colorado. I'm like, who's got this stuff? On and on and on. And I'm like, okay. And, and keep in mind, I'm still a civil rights lobbyist with open cases across the nation. And it, and it wasn't even two, three days until there was a, at my front door and I open it. Uh, Mr. Robinson, yes, you've been served. Open up. Motion to dismiss appearance of Platon's representative. Plains representative have posted the following items on Facebook. It appears he is seeking Schedule One substances. Uh, so the defense for school districts and other entities I was going after for the kids start motioning the judges to dismiss my appearance on cases, and they did one after another after another after another. It didn't even take a week for me to take every search engine I had program set up running all night long looking for case laws under certain parameters to set them up differently looking for research on cannabis cannabinoids uh cannabidiol cbd on and it it was in the same calendar month i switched over from being somebody who researched case law to being somebody who was researching cannabinoid medicine before the term cannabinoid medicine was even being used. Um, when, when, did, when did California legalize medicinal cannabis in the 90s, I thought, didn't they? 1996. And, yeah. you know, let me bring that up. The, the spokesman and co-author, Dennis Perone, that was behind um, the 1996 Prop 215 legalization effort, actually ended up being a recipient of the cannabis oils and cannabis compassion program then the very started yeah right. before 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 he passed in 2018 actually okay. in, in um february and march of 2017 i met with dennis perone to write the perone resolution uh that would allow compassion to be continued in the state of california never actually went anywhere but a, a team of, of other lobbyists came up and wrote something that did 
that's known as SB 34, the Dennis Perone and Browning Mary Compassion Act out in the state of California. So, yeah, I mean, ca- cannabis was was legalized in California in 1996, the Compassionate Use Act. Uh, this is the same state that was the first to prohibit cannabis after the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act. Okay, so so that shows you that quickly the biggest state in the nation with the seventh largest economy in the world, California. Okay, it's decision that fast to legalize something they quickly made prohibited. So, um, and slowly we've watched the rest of the nation start to reverse a lot of these prohibitionary laws within the states. Sadly, we have not seen the federal government do the right thing. Um, we've seen pharmaceutical uh, medicines made from uh, cannabinoid extracts. We've watched our federal government purposely have them made in the UK by GW Pharmaceuticals and then shipped over to the United States for um, clinical trials and whatnot, just so they could avoid the end of prohibition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have purposely seen our government um, purport that they're going to end cannabis prohibition, continuing to fund clinical trials, continuing to fund research, continuing to stall and allow pharmaceutical companies to get their research done. What we're seeing is sort of troubling, you know, and I know I'm shifting gears here really quickly, but it's it's good, man. But it's, we're we're seeing prohibition continue on a plant while Mm. chemicals created from the plant are being allowed to be created synthetically, non-synthetically, you name it. Um, you can't make claims about cannabis helping anybody. Uh, if, if I had a product for sale right now, I couldn't even do this podcast and tell you what I used or any of that. Um, it's totally illegal to claim that cannabis is medicine. Cannabis is still schedule one next to angel dust and heroin. And cocaine and methamphetamine. No, No, you're actually, you're wrong. Cocaine and methamphetamine are scheduled too. And I, everybody, that's everybody that is. I thought they got to be scheduled one. Are you sure they're scheduled two? You're talking to somebody that is at least, I can say, an expert in this part of the field. Uh, Forgive me, Mike. Forgive me, Mike. I was just, when you said that (laughs) schedule two, I was like, there's no way. They the are brightest scheduled. minds in our government can say that no. cannabis is a schedule one and more dangerous than a synthetic, dirty, Co- chemically laced drug like methamphetamine. Cocaine and methamphetamine have been scheduled two substances for quite some time. Um, if you think about it, methamphetamine salts is Adderall and it's prescribed widely to all kinds of people. Point. They <laughs> use a lot of derivatives and, and pharmaceuticals for kids with ADHD and things that college students use to help them study all night to jam for a paper or a test. These are highly addictive brain substances. So, and they're scheduled too. Um, So, so when you look at all this, of course, we've run into great controversy. When is our government going to legalize? How's it going to happen? But, you know, that's a whole different story. You know, when, when we look at my own journey through all this, what happened in that 2013 era where where I was literally forced to move into cannabinoids away from civil rights. Um, You know, what beautiful thing happened was uh, in all of the different 
Facebook ramblings and everything else, another knock came. And it was this guy wearing a cowboy hat and a tie-dye at my door. And I didn't know who he was. He's like, are you Mike Robinson from Facebook? And I'm cautious. I'm like, yes, I'm a compassion provider. Well, what's that? Come on in. You know, he comes in. I help out patients in need. And these are terms I use to this day. And I was like, well, how do you get paid? He goes, don't worry about that. I saw you're struggling to get off a bunch of pills you're taking for epilepsy. And I just done a bunch of posts how I'm starting to wean the first drug. I'm on eight different pharmaceuticals for severe epilepsy. And the guy just hands me all of this cannabis oil and he's gone, okay? The impact on my life that that had was so monumental, monumental, it was just incredible. And it drove me to literally be like that guy, be like that Dennis Brown guy that started it all with the Compassionate Use Act. Because look what he did. This guy started all this team. There's 12 guys along with Brown. So it was a whole team of men and women. And they were actually fighting the AIDS epidemic in, in uh, San Francisco. That's how cannabis got legal. Most people don't know that. You know, a lot of people judge everybody, but guess what? This plant got legalized again because a bunch of people in San Francisco that are judged to no end fought along with their nurses. And the nurses went out and spoke to the legislator. The nurses went out and said, look, these people are dying. And not they're not just And the legislator was like, well, they've got AIDS. They've got this judgment, judgment, judgment. OK. And the nurses were like, what about our cancer ward? They're doing better. Now the state was like, well, what do we do now? We can't just point our finger at some people we don't like. It's everybody with cancer doing better. And suddenly Prop 215 becomes on the ballot, passes in the state. So when we look at the history, it's a history of people that just wanted to give. It's the people that just wanted to help. Um, and, and when you look at the history of cannabis compassion, did it start there in 1996? or before with that group? Well, no, it started probably with cavemen going out and making some paste. Here you go, put this on your back. Who knows who made the first thing from cannabis and gave it to somebody else. They definitely did it back in the ancient days of India with Indian hemp. I mean, the Native Americans who used the plant definitely gave it to each other. So cannabis compassion is nothing new. It's just something we were reintroduced to just like we were reintroduced to the plant after seven decades of crazy reefer madness, making us think that the devil brought us this plant when indeed God brings us every living being on this earth. So Amen. people were, people were heavily misled and deceived, but that's of course what happens on, on, on this earth. Um, you know, but you know, you asked about the cannabis love story. Yes. And, and I think that's a very important element. You know, as I'm traipsing around suddenly in this compassion mode, okay, I'm all over the place, all over this, the nation. Again, again, pro bono it means giving it away for free. Yeah, you're this not getting paid. This time oil's away. I end up bending over to 
grab something and just giving a snap sound in 2015. And it's May of 2015. I go into the ER, they do an x-ray. The ER doctor comes out. He goes, have you ever had cancer? I'm like, yeah, about cancer a dozen years ago. And he throws the x-ray up into the thing to show me. Because see this line? That's a closed bone fracture. It's internal. We see this with bone cancer. We see this with metastasis to the bone. So I told him I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So he keeps me in the ER for a couple more hours, does some blood tests, and comes back. And white counts elevated times 10. Um, you have the biomarkers for non-Hodgkin's. He writes up recurrence non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, refers me over to the primary care doctor. Um, you know, next thing next, I'm being referred to oncology. And it just was so fast. And it's those three words hit you so hard. And it's what makes people rush to all these treatments that are pretty scary. Those three words are, you have cancer. And when you hear those three words, it's a rush and a scare like no other. So in 2015, when those three words hit me, I started following that mule train again, right back in, you know, to the center. Then you get all the diagnostics. Then you get the treatment plan. You don't have one. They told me you have three stage four cancers and here's our plan. Three and stage it, four cancers. And their plan was a year of chemo and radiation. And I'm like, your plan, I won't live through. That's a long time to be exposed to that kind of radiation at probably the levels. I'm guessing that, it, that the levels would have to be high because of the severity of the, I'll get three different forms, all that stage four. I'd imagine that, I've never done it, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that the chemotherapy for that would be more intense than one cancer at stage one or one cancer at stage two, right? Something like that. Five different chemotherapy agents were going to be mixed together. Damn. So five different drugs would be used. And when it came down to it, I asked the doctor, look, you keep saying agent, then you say drug. Why do you say agent? Well, these radioactive agents are named agents. And then he put the treatment plan in front of me again, probably for the third time to sign. I looked at it. It was on one of those metal clipboards. Grabbed yeah. it from his hand, looked at it, pulled it off, tore it in half handed it to him and walked out. And I was pretty bold. It's pretty bold, man. I'll tell you, I don't know if it was bold or nuts. I don't suggest everybody else do what I did. I don't. Um, I just figured I was done. You know, I went on the compassion road. I'd be caught at times literally repeating some of the words from the movie Green Mile. Walk in the mile, walk in the mile. Dead man walking, dead man. Clear the way. You know, I've never seen that movie. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. Okay. <laughs> Green Miles about probably the 1950s or so, you know, and how they did executions back then. Yeah, you know. I know it's a prison film. And so it's, uh, a, it's about it's a, a walk in the Green Miles, the executioner. Okay. Right? So the Green so the green Miles is the one you walk <laughs> before you go die. Okay. Gotcha. Now it's that's like, the way you felt every day. Is that the way you felt every day? Or? I felt when I woke up every day, I was walking the mile. 
It was the last mile. And it kept going on for years and years. I mean, it just didn't stop. Um, one day I'm in LA, okay, and it's uh, August of 2016. So here we are, a year and a half later, I'm gonna die any day, according to the doctors, I'm still alive. I'm using cannabis oils, I'm traveling all over the nation, bringing oils to other people, um, you know, and, and I'm in LA and I get a call before the next morning I had to come up the California coast to see a, a boy who was going to celebrate two years seizure free using oils that, that uh, we were sending him. And, and uh, I get a call from a mom who's panicked. She's got a gram of CBD oil, which is strong and, and way, just not the right oil for a child with epilepsy. She had a child with severe epilepsy and autism and she needed help. The child was taking multiple other medications, pharmaceuticals that that CBD would have interacted with had she given it to her. Um, and she wanted to know, how do I give my child this oil? And I found out what it was, no, don't give it. Where are you? You know, well, I'm in this place. And like, where is this place? Well, lo and behold, it's right on the way. It's a suburb of Santa Barbara. And it's right on the way to where I'm going. Literally, I mean, I don't even drive. So, I mean, it, had it been out of the way any further, other than right off the freeway, this would have been a no-go. So, anyway, you know, I come up and... And, you know, this time you've heard me knock a few times, but this time I'm going to get up from where I'm sitting and looking at you and I'm going to go. That's the front door to this house. Okay. That's the door I knocked on in August of 2016 to this house. This house? So, the one this right house. now. Okay. The one right now. Um, I knocked on this door while I was on the Compassion Road and what I heard inside was a child seizing. And, and I rushed in and, and gave the child oil. Um, I administered to her, I explained to the mom, you know, I, I have cancer, I have oil in my pocket right now, you know. And, and Genevieve got oil right there, then and there. And her seizure stopped. She was on the floor in a grand mal seizure, it stopped. And I was explaining to the mom, okay, she's going to be okay. It's, you know, and mom was really upset. I'm like, she's going to be okay. And, and while I'm sitting there talking to mom, Genevieve literally gets up and walks to her bedroom. And, and the mom's look is even more so like, and I'm like, it's, it's all right. She's like, no, she's just, she can't walk. This is what comes out of her. She's really rattled. I'm like, she's just walked to her bedroom. She's in her bed just fine. And there's sheets all over the place. And I'm, you know, like, what, why, why are these, what's up with this? And she's like, well, she takes like five or six steps or walks 10 feet and then has a seizure. She has 25, 30 seizures a day, at least. Yeah, and, and I don't know what to do. So I just put sheets and blankets on the floor. So, so at least she can be on a soft spot while she's recovering. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, she's walked her room. And then she explains, I'm like, she's got her iPad. She goes, yeah, but she doesn't use it anymore, you know. And she's been in the hospital all summer. And she starts showing me pictures. And I'm like, whoa, this child's really, like, hanging over the couch. Her head wrapped in the hospital. It really rough time this child's going through. There is no semblance of any normal 
life or any kind of existence that's pleasurable, that's for sure. And, you know, I just thought, wow. You know, so she's not even using her iPad anymore. And then out of the room, you hear, dun, 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 dun. It's a Simpsons. Well, she's using her iPad. So we go in there. And this and is the same day that you came in there, right? This is same. within the hour. Okay. Same hour. Okay. So I'm not, I'm only there for here for two hours total, not even that. And so I go in the room and I sit with Genevieve and a series of pictures are taken by mom, the first few pictures. And Genevieve's actually looking up and looking in the camera. And mom's like, wow, you know, she's attentive. And then I come out to the living room and and she has Jen come out to the living room and she's got this voice to, to this icon to voice app on her iPad that she hasn't been using. You know, you touch different icons and it can say how you feel, what you want. I want this, you know, it's multiple step buttons. So she went from not using it to sitting out on that couch and mom brought that up and said, how do you feel? And she put, I feel happy Amen. and it speaks. Amen. And I'm standing there hearing, I feel happy. And I'm looking at this child who's just on the floor seizing. And then mom starts going further. She's not allowed to go back to school because she falls over seizing all the time. She needs UCLA clearance. So then I'm like, okay, what kind of pharmaceuticals exactly are these? You know, I just knew there was multiple pharmaceuticals being taken the night before. And I didn't want mom giving her this huge dose of CBD, which does have interactions with pharmaceutical medicines. And it really sickened me to see that this child was on antipsychotic drugs. Drugs for severe ADHD, severe psychosis, drugs that you would see given in a mental ward, you know, and these drugs are pro-convulsive and Genevieve has severe autism and epilepsy. All right. Hey, Mike, 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 I think I understand what you're saying, pro-convulsive. In other words, they actually induce convulsions. Yes, they can cause seizure, just they don't, they're not an anti-convulsive, they're pro. So they can definitely something that can cause seizure to happen um and and you know 33 percent of kids with autism have epilepsy and and it, there's this is a something that we run into quite often is that doctors just don't have the choices they need and part of that's because a plant has been prohibited mm-hmm. you know so so anyway in the cannabis love story what happens is genevieve flourishes over the next week, mom's very active on social media, sharing Genevieve with me. I'm sharing Genevieve with the world. Look at the child. I actually write a couple articles about her, too, about the same child, which is sort of rare because I was so busy, you know. And, and about a month and a half later, I'm scrolling through Facebook one day, and I actually it was a night, and I see Genevieve has broken her iPad mom's upset it's like this is what she uses to talk with i think she was asking friends if they had an extra one and i asked people around me you know can you throw in 25 bucks you can throw in 50 it's, i gotta bring this girl on the ipad this is how she's talking and of course there's a lot of kids and a lot of people involved in this program we're talking thousands and 
this one child just has me. And this is, again, where I believe heavy, heavily, there is divine intervention. Okay, I'm sick. I've got multiple staged cancers. They keep recurring because I'm on the road and I won't stop. And I meet this child that grabs my attention. And I find that her dad overdosed and died to opioids. Mm. Decade before I met her. So she's got a dad. And I'm an opioid addict. I don't want anybody to know that at that time. I'm using all these cannabis oils to treat my cancer. I'm very public. I've quit all these different, from 48 to 4, I'm talking to everybody about the number of pills for epilepsy. I've gone to, I'm out there bragging away about how great I am. In the back of my mind, I have a big old lie called opioid addiction, pharmaceutical. There wasn't 48 pills, there were 62. There was Oxycontin, Oxycodone, fentanyl, all kinds of fun stuff. So I had cancer and I had pain. So I had the reason to take these, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so still, that was a lie, you know, and if, had I kept living that lie, you know, I'd likely be dead. Um, either the cancers would have killed me and never would have recovered or opioid overdose would have got me. Um, but this, this, this girl, Genevieve, who needs my help so bad, you know, she breaks her iPad and I come in and bring her one. And mom's like, well, thank you. I appreciate you. And of course, we've already been talking. It would be a total lie to say that I didn't think her mom was something special already, you know, but we, if we weren't there. Okay. But she's like, do you want to go out? She sent a barber for a couple hours and we go out on this four hour long date in which we come back. Because Genevieve got sick and I helped clean up her getting sick, and which mom was like, wow, you know, but but it was it was like old fashioned, you know, you don't have days like that anymore. Nowadays, men and women go out and we know what they do, you know, you don't see a man and woman get together and go out for four hours, but you just don't anymore. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And then if they do, Mike, let me encourage you, man. It happens. It happens, man. <clears throat> okay, it does. But I mean, in mo- a lot of our worlds, it doesn't. So- I get what you're saying. You see, you see, you see a shift in. I get it. I do. And so, so literally, no, that, that's relationship time. stuff, and that that's important. And I get where you're going. So maybe we'll touch on that later on. I get what you're saying, man. So a month goes by, literally, right? And in this month period of time, we bond. You know through the internet lines, phone lines, what have you. And I come back at the end of October and I get an Airbnb and spend a couple of nights and we go out on a lunch date, we go on another couple of dates. And then I don't come back for another month. I'm busy. I'm on the compassion road. It's her birthday at the end of, it was the 29th. We just celebrated her birthday yesterday. So, right so six years ago on the 29th yesterday, I came back for the third date. And and I rented an Airbnb room from the promoter of Cheech and Chong. So it all all these Cheech and Chong autographs and signs. <laughs> and and that's kind of cool, man. <laughs> I, I spent like three days. Every day I'd get up around eight or nine, have coffee, 
by 10 o'clock, I'd be over here at the house and I'd be at the house until 10 o'clock at night. So I literally integrated myself into their world for three days and pulled myself away from my draining world that I lived in that would run me into the ground all the time. And then I, in, in that visit, I told her, look, you know, cause she told me, you know, we have a hard time over Christmas. She was really dreading it. Genevieve's off for two weeks. Her dad actually passed away, overdosed the day after Christmas, you know, and she says, it's the hardest time I have. She had two other daughters, you know, so, so, I say, look, I'll come and stay with you for that two-week period of time. And that launched our family. I came and stayed for that two-week period of time. And it didn't end in two weeks. I didn't leave until January 10th. And when I left on to the road, the Compassion Road, on the 10th of January, I believe it was January 12th when I actually got off grid and came back on grid and a bunch of messages loaded in, you know, a bunch of texts were sent you at one time when you leave, you know, the grid and you come back in, you're getting all this flood. So, and in this flood of messages, there's a whole bunch from Anne-Marie, Genevieve's mom, Mm -hmm. and it's video. And I'm watching this video and it's Genevieve pointing to Homer saying, daddy, Daddy, well, isn't that cute? The next video, it's Genevieve's older sister holding a phone that has a picture of me. And it's Genevieve looking at her 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 iPad going, Daddy, and pointing up to the phone. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And this is a nonverbal autistic child that has said mommy like twice in the last couple months with like a huge celebration. She said, mommy, I got text calls, everybody excited. She said, mommy, we couldn't believe. This girl has not stopped saying daddy. She probably has 2000 other words now, you know, and of course she doesn't speak, you know, back and forth like we are, but she's got words, but her number one. That she did not have before. She called me home, okay? She called me home and I came to this house and, you know, I was renting a room in a, in a place and where I'd rest. And for weeks at a time, I'd sort of, I'd hide there, just get away from everybody, then go back out to the Compassion Road again. And I was so burned out. Cancers were just so hard to fight with severe epilepsy and, and, and the addiction. Pain, of course, was there, or it wouldn't be addicted to the opioids. They were there for pain. I wasn't just some drug user, you know? And yeah. I, and, I, I get what you're saying, man. The opioids, and, I, I, I have people in my family and people that I know outside of my family that are in tremendous amounts of pain and those pills do help yeah, with I mean, that it, pain. But I get what you're saying. It's like, let's try have, something wait, between in between this and that. And, and I'll tell you, you know, it was this child and I think the cannabis love story is rightfully named because it was Genevieve that made this family. It was the cannabis patient herself that everybody had written off as being non-communicative, having no life, having being unable to understand or vocalize or anything anywhere. And people really write off, you know, individuals like Genevieve. And, but it was her. She's the one that brought everybody together. And because of her, a child of God, because of that, 
There's a family now. And we're talking, we've got our oldest now is in Vegas. And all those daughters, like my daughter figure, I call her. I mean, those are hard to fit in and mold when a child's that old. You know what I mean? You don't want to try to replace dad. You just want to be a figure. So it's like I call my daughter figure. Two grandsons, beautiful. I mean, and, and the world has watched as all this has unfolded on social media. So CannabisLoveStory.com is a website where people can go read about all this. Okay, let's do that again. Let's do that again. Is it the cannabis or cannabis love? CannabisLoveStory.com. All common spelling, CannabisLoveStory.com. Check it out. Yeah, and MikesMedicines.com. Both of them. M-I-K-E-S Medicines.com. That gives Sorry, people- man, I want to make sure everybody got that. <laughs> that gives people a lot of information. Mike's Medicines is like a mega website. With tons yeah, of I was looking at it. It's big, man. So- so the, the cannabis love story is so important to the world of cannabinoid medicine, I believe, because it introduces people to the, the re-legalization of cannabis in a whole different light. Uh, I believe that as much as the weed series on CNN did good in showing Charlotte and other kids and things like that, it also did not good because it showed the world a bunch of partying, 420 celebrations. And I'm not here to put down hippies or stoners because I'm both of that. I am one. Amen. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. okay. I'm here to say that, that if we're going to try to show the masses what this stuff is and gain appeal to it, we need to show it as a plant that's been here all along, that was only demonized for money. And as soon as it was worth money again, it was undemonized. That's what's going on. It's that simple. No reason to complicate it any further. If we want to complicate it, we can say, look what they did. They passed the Marijuana Tax Act. It took five years of reefer madness. The devil brought this stuff here, using religion against everybody yeah. for years. It took until 1942 for the U.S. population to realize that the cannabis tinctures and medicines they were using from their pharmacies were actually that marijuana they were watching and all the reformat. They didn't know that because most people don't know prohibition of cannabis didn't truly occur until 1942. The PASS Act, that, or I'm sorry, the Tax Act occurred and passed in 1937. It took until 1942 to remove all the cannabinoid medicine from the U.S. pharmacies and take it off and remove cannabis from the U.S. pharmacopoeia. It took that long. So one million prescriptions were written in that period of time hmm. to U.S. citizens who believed in their government so much they took off their wedding rings and their necklaces and gave it happily, said, please take our jewelry and make bullets for the next war. This is how much people believed in the country back then. Now, you're right, because you're talking about the heels of World War II, and you're talking about the population of the nation being stretched so thin that it's never been stretched that thin since. When it comes to, when it comes to people saying, whoa, our whole nation is at a point where if we don't help, we may not be here much longer. 
that's a significant point because they call that generation the greatest generation, right? And following that as the baby boomers and following that as Gen Xers and so on and so forth. But they call it the greatest generation because of what collectively society, people, people in that society gathered around, they rallied around and they, they helped. You know, I don't want to make it sound too big or too small, but it's like that, that common theme of we need to help. We need to take action. We need to do something that in a generation, in that aspect, the way you're talking about it, I think that's the last time that muscle movements happened in this country. I agree. It's a big one though, but I get what you're saying because it's important because what you're saying is that type of mindset is where those folks were, correct? That's correct. All right, man. Was that the end of the story? You still got some more on that one. <laughs> well, no, I think that, that, was, that was about it right there. You know, I mean, when we look at all this, it's, it's, it's a lot of conditioning. I agree with you. It is. It really is a lot of conditioning. And, you know, and in the 21st century, when you're talking about time you know a lot of us sometimes we're talking about time and with artificial intelligence and the sharing of information so quickly and so far and and around the world and beyond now that conditioning can either come on faster or it can erode faster you know what i mean it's a wild time to be alive mike i'm 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 super happy to be alive right now because it is an amazing time to be alive man but it, it that that conditioning you're right. It can be it can be used and it can be abused. And it's is it right now we're seeing in in the whole movement towards legalization of cannabis, we're seeing more and more conditioning. We we've watched the farm bill pass, allowing CBD, allowing, but at the same time we see FDA oversight and no rules. We see you can't make claims about hemp extracts, but you can certainly make claims about how good uh, Del Monte ketchup tastes. Um, you, know, you can't make a claim about hemp extracts, but you certainly can make a claim about how good this Band-Aid will stick on your skin and cover that wound. You know, so crazy, man, is Lyrica. Lyrica is one of those drugs that a lot of people use. It gets prescribed a lot. And the makers of it don't know how it does what it does. And, that, and that's just another example of, of some of the... Uh, blatant hypocrisy within 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 that industry and like like i said there are medications that people need and they help people i'm not against pharmaceutical companies 100 that's not it i'm against the greed of pharmaceutical companies i think and i'm glad you brought that up and and we're moving all over in topics but that's okay i think that's what's great about podcasts yeah i know i dig it too Um, man There is a huge, huge number, a high percentage of people that follow cannabis that are against pharmaceuticals. Okay, I understand that because we're quitting pharmaceuticals. I've talked all about the number of pharmaceuticals I've quit, which is a huge number. But what we need to also look at is embracing a new type of pharmaceutical. Let's look at getting some plant medicine 
back on the farm shelves, there's going to be a movement that's going to bring synthetics. And anybody that's upset about that is going to get more upset. The number of pharmaceutical companies that are stepping up to the plate with synthetic versions of this and that that they're working on, countless. So we're going to see different cannabinoid medicines that come forward, probably get approved, phase trials, and they're going to be pharmaceutical companies. But there's also some small pharma companies I know of right now that are doing nothing but plant extracts. For the most part, they're not in the United States. Okay. So what's happened throughout this pandemic is the FDA sort of lost its golden seal of approval. All of these uh, uh, injections and, and whatnot, the different um, problems that have gone on with the rush vaccines. And again, I don't want to get into a vaccine debate. I, just no, want to I, say I don't want to do it either, but it, it's we, relevant we, to what you were talking about in terms of we, cannabis. So I, I yeah, completely we, get where you're going, Mike, and we're on the same page so, there, bro. So we've, we've really rushed, rushed, rushed. And, and, you know, there's, there's errors. And so other nations are seeing these errors and going, wait a second, we don't, we no longer really trust this seal of approval. We have our own department of narcotics. We have our own division of narcotics. We have our own law and we will approve our cannabinoid medicines on our own. Brazil is a great example. Uh, with a dossier submitted to that government, you can get a formulation approved. Once that, once that formulation is approved, you can then look for a pharmaceutical company that will carry it. It can actually be made here in the U.S. and exported to them under law, you know, hemp extracts, for example. So there are a lot of nations saying, look, we will approve our own cannabinoid medicine and put it on our own pharmacy shelves we don't need an FDA approval. We don't need FDA rules. We have our own rules. And this makes a lot of sense. I'm not putting the FDA down. Yeah. Uh, and again, I am a recovering opioid addict about ready to celebrate three years opioid free. Amen. And most of us know about the FDA label on Oxycontin yeah. and Oxycodone. So, you know, if I was to put the FDA down, I don't think I'd be alone. Um, no, you wouldn't. Not here to I, do I think that. They do some good things and they do some bad things. And, and, it, exactly. and it's it, the bad thing. And, and that's the way, that's the way everybody is. And I'm glad you said that too, because, you know, we can be really harsh on the government. We can be really harsh on the FDA, but if they didn't exist at all. Um, oh my gosh, we, dude. Right. Who knows? What, what, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of, and, and, and I'm glad you said that Mike, because I do, I do. It come, you know, I'm glad you said that because we're both touching on the same thing. We're both, I, I do think this is the greatest country on the planet with all of its flaws. And there is no, there is no, there is no perfect country, but in terms of the freedoms we have to think, speak and act and to worship, there's no other country that does it like the United States. It's not perfect. It's messed up. And I kind of like the way I heard, and I think it was Winston Churchill said some of the effect of this democracy is the worst form of government government, except for all the others. So, yeah. and that's, and that's where it's, it's like, everybody's trying to figure it out. But when people catch wind of greed at the expense of safety 
and at the expense of people, and we're talking about safety of people, that trust gets hurt. And the church as a whole, like when surveys are done, like trustworthy groups, trustworthy organizations, the church used to be at the very top. And now I believe if I, I haven't looked at it late, recently in 2021, actually, so my information might be off as a year or so or something like that. The military was the most trusted organization entity per that survey. Yeah. So it was interesting. So I, that, that matters. What you're saying is that is so. And, and that's why I think it's really cool because I don't think it's either. I don't think it's this or that it's not plant medicine or pharmaceutical. It's both. And, and we have, both. we have to look at evolution. Okay. When you look at evolution, we, we evolve and often as we evolve, we revisit things of the past. Okay. So right now, we're revisiting cannabinoid medicine of the past, but we're changing it. So, so what we didn't have before the 1800s tinctures and things like that were a bunch of pharmaceuticals and synthetics. And as much as I don't like a bunch of synthetics, some things need to be synthesized in order to have them the same over and over again. Consistency. A lot of people don't understand this. If you're going to make 20 million doses of something, it's very hard to do that with a plant extract. Extremely, and not very hard, it's impossible. And this is why the pharmaceutical companies will synthesize things. And then what you end up with are people that have insurances that pay for those medicines. So now they're getting some synthesized version of can can cannabinoid medicine and it's covered. They don't have to pay out of pocket it's gonna be a market that happens and we're gonna need the FDA or somebody there, you know, to, to oversee this. I and mean, it's not like we can build a new one overnight, you know? So, so there's a lot of problems in America, as much as it's the beautiful country land of the free, we have a lot of things that aren't so free, uh, but I am a well-traveled individual and I can, do nothing but concur with you in that we have freedoms people take advantage of. They have no idea what it's like to be elsewhere. They have no, I, I hear discussions of socialism, communism, this and that. And I ask people all the time, have you ever seen it? Well, I watched a movie. Well, no, then you have not seen it. You know, have, have you ever been to even the Philippines? Have you ever been to been, been into Mexico where federales hold machine guns. Have you, have you Eastern seen Europe is a good one to see, man. Those countries are really struggling to come out of it. And it's, it's, it's hard, but it's, it's hard, the, man. And, and we have freedoms. We have freedoms in this nation that you just can't get elsewhere. The fact that I can sit here and talk to you about all of this freely without being arrested and brought to jail. I just spoke poorly about my government. Half of this world will put you in jail for the rest of your life for doing that. I just smoked, spoke about how I use a plant that's prohibited on the schedule one and give it away. Oh my gosh. Now we're talking about execution in a bunch of parts. In some, of yeah. In some, yeah. So, some, so, yeah. so, so, but can we get better? Of course. And have we lost freedoms? Definitely. 
have our freedoms allowed the rich to do some things that aren't so good? Oh, yes, they have. So, so as beautiful as America is, it can always get better. Nothing's perfect, you know, and but we can't use the nothing's perfect as an excuse to turn our eye to what's gone on. Because what I'm watching right now in relation to the federal government in the United States and cannabinoid medicine is undue suffering and death of people within the nation. And as much as I love America, and I do, God bless America, but I'm sorry, I cannot say anything other than God have mercy upon the souls of those who sit in Washington, D.C. and keep a plant schedule one that they know can save and change lives every single day and to do so only to watch billions pour through and their hands and pockets get lined. God have mercy upon the souls of those who are doing said things. You know, it's interesting, man. And when you're talking about the FDA and, uh, and the tarnished, tarnished reputation and, and credibility, it's funny because I, I thought of uh, Deepwater Horizon in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010. Do you remember that oil spill that, mm-hmm. that blew up and they did a movie on it and all that stuff, you know? It's, and just like Facebook, you just rebrand it. So my thought is this, man. The FDA will no longer be called the FDA. Sometime in the future, it'll be rebranded to reboost that credibility because that's what comfort. Look at Facebook's doing it right now, man. I mean, it's like, People are like, yeah, Facebook's almost a dirty name, but we use it so much. It's kind of like a thing you gotta you gotta use so much, but we don't like it because it, it, the stories of all the negativity, political mostly, and all that kind of stuff, have forced its senior leadership to say, we can't keep using this name. <laughs> the associations well, to all the negative right. stuff is not good. We have to rebrand, and that's what government that's what government organizations that oversee the yeah. drilling in the Gulf of Mexico did in 2010. Shortly after that. They all changed their names and changed their acronyms and changed uniforms. And that happened, that happened right after 9-11. Right after 9-11, too, you saw INS disappear. You saw Border Patrol become Customs Border Patrol. You get a new uniform. You get a new patch. That stuff happens. It's nothing. The way I view it is like it's nothing new. It's nothing ordinary or, or extraordinary. It's usually something extraordinary that causes it, like an oil spill that doesn't stop spilling for however many days or something like... Like what we're talking about with cannabis, all the, all the, go ahead, Mike. I think it's very important to look at our founding fathers and how this country, especially on your podcast, okay, this country was created on the backbone of Christianity. It was created on the belief it was created on the belief that you, I shouldn't say backbone of Christianity, more so the backbone of you can believe in what you want to believe in. You no, are free. That, so, you so, are yeah, free. No, I get what you're saying there. I get what you're saying because it, it, okay. it, it, it's definitely under underpinned with Judeo-Christian values. And, and, and along with that comes with leaders who not only say so, this plant not only say grow this plant but before our nation was even formed required every single farmer to grow hemp you had to because it was that valuable just like you had to tithe 
okay? You had to grow hemp because it was that valuable. And the same nation, you know, it's a good point, man. It's it's a, it's an amazing time to be alive, man. It's an amazing time to be alive. And it's cool. So now we have leaders that say you can grow hemp, but don't say that it does anything good. Okay, so we've got a different it is an amazing time to be alive because it's weird too, man. <laughs> our our really leaders are, are overpowered. I mean, look, the cannabis movement in the United States has to include anywhere between 30 and 50 million people at minimum. And you've got what? Less than a hundred thousand trying to control us. So, you know what, you know, the part where you said, you know, um, you didn't use the word, but you were talking about the cannabis culture purists is what I would say, like the purists, because there's purists. And and when somebody starts a whole, there's some purists and, you know, there's a, there's a command system when the federal, when a disaster happens, like when that, when that, what's it called happened, when that oil spill happened in 2010, the, the federal government and state and local governments implement what thing called the incident command system. It's so the feds, the states and the locals across all disciplines can all help each other and work under the same command structure. Right. So it's basically a common playing field. Right. And, um, Oh man, I I was I was looking at you doing something. And I got just <laughs> the point of what I was trying to say was, oh yes, the purist. That's it. This is happening to me too much right now, man. I don't want to interrupt. Usually, if I'm talking to my family or something, I just interrupt and we get mad at each other for interrupting each other. But I can't do that with guests. So when it comes to the, I think the purists are are essential for movements because somebody has to hold on to the ideal. Somebody has to hold on to the ideal because. That's the ideal. Is the ideal ever attained? Rarely, if at all. But the continual process towards that ideal is what brings about the improvement that I think we're both talking about and the changes of incorporating past and present, like the re-legalization of it, as you're calling it, the re-legalization of it, of cannabis in the 21st century. It's not night, it's not 2000, it's not 19. 25, 42, 37, it's 2021 going on 2022. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on. <laughs> it is really interesting, Mike. It's really interesting, man. Oh, still talking with you. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's, uh, and, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see a lot of the changes that we are seeing. You know, you can be really frustrated about some of the things going on, you know, all these different issues. Will it be synthetics? Will it be good? Will it not be good? On and on and on. Um, will, it, will we see legalization across every state be the same? You know, so many people have so many questions. The exciting thing is a plant, once again, has gained the focus of not just this nation. Now, let me remind people that are listening in America, we're only 5% of the world. Okay, I'm, I'm an international researcher, so I work with people mostly not in the U.S. Okay, so we're only 5% of this world's population. The other 95% are just as excited as we are, and they're rolling. We've got multiple nations who have already completely decriminalized cannabis. They have ended prohibition. They are way ahead of America. So 
So we are in an exciting time in which plant medicine is coming back to mainstream. And what my roommate Henry made me that can't eat it all, that ancient Chinese medicine. That's cool, man. Now becoming what we're finding our body needs. And the most exciting thing of all this was that between uh, 88 and 92 and onward discovery of the endocannabinoid system to find out that our body actually has a system that needs cannabinoids that our body makes runs off in endocannabinoids, but external cannabinoids help make that happen. So there is an actual system that receives external cannabinoids inside the human body is not taught in medical schools. I find that odd, okay, but is the number one system to provide homeostasis. I mean, it is the system that keeps all other systems in our body working Without the endocannabinoid system, we are dead. We are sick. You know, man, since I've gotten out of the military, since I've retired from the military, that homeostasis feels better. It takes some getting used to <laughs> because I've been in uniform for a while, but it, the homeostasis, it's like, oh, you start, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I've come off caffeine. I've come, I mean, I still love the taste of coffee, but I've come off caffeine. I feel better. I've actually lost weight. I haven't gotten any bigger. I've gotten, more lean, more muscular, and lost weight. Yeah, so, by the know, grace of God, I am what I am, Mike. <laughs> by the grace, by the grace of, God, of God, baby. And man, that's you know, you know, you know. So here's the thing, Mike. We kind of touched on it. I know we got to close out, but we really didn't get into. I mean, we didn't get into it on. on we we touched on a little bit before we hit record, but but growing up with a religion or a belief system and. And, you know, we haven't touched on it. And I, I know we don't have enough time on it now because I think we could do that one for like two or three hours because I think yours would be pretty cool to hear. And then our experiences you, would be pretty, pretty, uh, you know, conversational on that. I'll tell you, it so is what, interesting, you know, when you look at all this. <laughs> what I'm saying is like, I want to I come back and do something like that with you sometime in the future, maybe in the new year, in the 2022, sometime in the coming year, where we come back and- great. And we talk about that aspect of it because you got me really curious because I'm sure that there are some folks that, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. We'll, we'll just leave okay. it at that, man. Coming to, coming to you in 2022, we'll do part two with Michael Mike Robinson. Sounds great. I know, man. I know, man. So, so, you know, it's a funny thing about doing the audio only podcast is that it's audio only. Nobody can see all the nonverbal that you and I are sharing over video. You know, <laughs> nobody sees any of that stuff. And that's what's kind of that's what's kind of. Uh, cool, but also, I, I, you know, it's just something to work with. I'll just put it like that. Something to work with. All right. Our special guest today was Michael, Mike Robinson. He's the founder of the Global Cannabinoid Research Center in Santa Barbara, California. And he's a unique and cool individual. Hope you all have a great day. We love you. Much love. Thank you.